today on Ag News Daily. Uh, you know, living living it every day on our ranch offers plenty of, of inspiration of, you know, what's happening seasonally and, you know, what we're up to at home, uh, but also just seeing things uh, outside of our own pasture gates. Good afternoon and happy Thursday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, I've got to say, I'm really excited for the weekend. Tomorrow is my birthday. So I have really been looking forward to the weekend this week and we're almost there. Well, that's right. I forgot your birthday is coming up here tomorrow. We celebrated your birthday. I guess you maybe like officially joined us right around your birthday last year, it seems like. I joined like a month maybe after my birthday. It was like early May, but I'm going to be celebrating my birthday, going to be celebrating a year with the podcast here pretty soon. Lots of things to be thankful for. Absolutely. We're thankful to have you, Ashton. That's for sure. Oh, you're making me blush. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, I don't have a whole lot of news for today. Um, Well, I have a little bit of news, I should say, but not a ton. Really, what I focused today's energy on, no surprise, was the markets because we had some pretty explosive moves today all across the board. And I want to dissect those a little bit more here, if you'll humor me for a moment, Ashton. We saw May corn futures up in the front months, especially pretty hard on the day, up as much as 21 cents today. And there was a few reasons for that big move. There were some rumors of Chinese interest in buying old crop corn. There was a pretty bullish export report this morning and expectations that tomorrow's WASD report will be bullish for corn as well as soybeans. So let me break some of those down a little bit further here. Let's talk exports first. Uh, We saw corn sales. They were slightly lower uh, compared to week prior, but we still saw 878, excuse me, 807,000 tons versus 857,000 tons the week prior. Wheat sales, however, were up pretty substantially, nearly 50% a 50% jump week to week here that we saw. And that definitely pushed wheat higher today. Soybeans also higher, about uh, 14,000 tons higher compared to the week prior. So really a bullish export sales number all around. And you couple that with some rumors that China might be interested in purchasing some old crop corn. Definitely a lot of excitement today in the commodity markets. But I want to run through these, ex, or excuse me, not export numbers, WASD numbers really quick here, Ashton, before we move on, because of course we do have the WASD report coming out tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Time. We'll be sure to hopefully tweet out some quick hits from that report, but uh, the average trade estimate for corn, at least carryout wise, is ranging anywhere from 1.2 to 1.5 billion bushels. Soybean estimates are ranging from 110 million to 135 million, and wheat is ranging anywhere from 827 million to 872 million. So we'll see how that report plays out tomorrow. But yeah, a lot of bullish sentiment heading into this report, Ashton, which has really pushed commodities higher today. Well, Delaney, I have some numbers to run through as well. Yesterday, I had reported that the ethanol industry is kind of turning a corner and coming back out of their slump that the pandemic unfortunately put them in. Ethanol output jumped to the highest level in more than three months last week, while inventories again declined. 
Production of the biofuel surged to 975,000 barrels a day on average in the week that ended on April 2nd. And that's up from 965,000 barrels a day the previous week and the highest output level since the seven days that ended on December 18th. In the Midwest, which of course is the biggest producing region in the U.S., ethanol production jumped to an average of 929,000 barrels a day last week from 917,000 barrels. That's also the most since mid-December. So they sound like they're doing pretty well, I should say. Yeah, they certainly do. Good to see that demand is picking up there. Uh, let's see, Ashton, I'm trying to look through the news wires. Like I said, it was a pretty slow day today. Uh, we did see, however, since we're talking numbers, FAS put out their numbers for what they expect Brazil to plant and produce as far as it comes to soybeans. They're just wrapping up their delayed soybean harvest, and it's expected to produce about 134 million metric tons of soybeans. And USDA's Foreign Ag Service is now predicting that they will plant and harvest even more of the commodity the next time around. So doesn't seem that Brazil is going to be slowing down at all when it comes to pushing the envelope on production. Well, Delaney, like you said, it was kind of a slow day today. So I don't have any new stories to really inform anybody on. I do kind of have a follow-up with Biden's infrastructure plan because we have seen some pushback, of course, but now we're seeing a little bit of approval, I guess I should say, from the National 4-H Council. So to go over this plan once more, it's a $2 trillion infrastructure proposal, and that includes $100 billion for digital infrastructure with the goal of giving all Americans access to affordable but reliable high-speed internet. And of course, you know, the broadband issue has become highlighted due to the pandemic with a lot of things going virtual, including school for, you know, those younger kids who are really involved in 4-H. So Jennifer Sorangelo, who is the president and CEO of the National 4-H Council, said that the pandemic brought light to even further the divide between rural and urban when it comes to this broadband access. And not only are kids needing internet to do school or to do anything, you know, any of these virtual events within National 4-H. 4-H is also a program that includes higher education or further education for adults. And so they also need these online tools. So there's, you know, a lot of groups to take into consideration here. It's not just, you know, our kids. And there was a, a fact sheet put out by Biden's Build Back Better plan. And it states that this plan will bring high-speed broadband to every American, which I think is a pretty big goal. But I just want to point out that 35% of rural Americans who lack access to broadband at minimally acceptable speeds. So a lot to kind of take into consideration there. But again, 4-H is kind of in support of this, it sounds like. But I think this is one of the first really agriculture I guess I shouldn't say companies, but, you know, councils that have really spoken out about um, this plan. I really haven't seen too terribly much coverage on this. I'm really trying to nail down an interview so we can kind of digest and dissect this plan a little bit further. But uh, that's the update that I have for you today. All right. Well, I think other than updating our listeners on the 
markets for today. I almost said the news. We are through that now. <laughs> I think besides updating our listeners on the markets for today, Ash, and I don't have anything else really to talk about. How about you? Um, no, I don't think I do either. I mean, we're kind of in a weird weather transition right now. Kind we of are. expecting to go from La Nina to neutral conditions. Um, hopefully we can talk a little bit more about that because I am definitely no meteorologist. So um, yeah, just kind of a, a strange time, I guess, for weather. I mean, it is springtime, so not really surprised there. I feel like it's always wacky this time of year, but I'm all out of news for today as well. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about weather next week. We have secured an interview with Eric Snodgrass. He's a great guy to talk about weather, so we won't steal his thunder. But Ashton, I do want to talk about the commodity markets because like I mentioned today, there was a lot of excitement across the board. May corn today closed up 19 and a quarter cent to close at 579 and three quarters. The D's up nine and a quarter cent to close at 494 and three quarters. And really, we're hitting that $5 mark, getting pretty darn close. If we have a bullish report tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised if we break through that $5 mark. In the soybean pits, we saw May contract finishing six and a half cents higher to close at 14.15 and a quarter. The November up two and a half cents to close at 12.73 and a quarter. Chicago wheat massive moves today as the May contract 12 and a half cents to close at 28 and three quarters. The third and a quarter cent to close at 6.36 and three quarters. And livestock today had some mixed trade. As the April live cattle contract up a dollar to close at 124.15, the June pulling back 25 cents to close at 125.02 and a half. Feeder cattle pretty much all in the red today as the April contract shed 50 cents to close at 147.12 and a half. The May up down a dollar 07 and a half to close at 151.60. And in lean hogs, they had mostly strength today as the April contract added 60 cents to close at 103.47 and a half. The June up 80 cents today to make a new contract high, closing at 108.70. And wrapping out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. April, seven cents higher to close at 17.62. The May, 24 cents higher to close at 1942. Without further ado, Ashen, let's get over to our conversation with influencer, beef blogger, and rancher Amanda Radke. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Amanda Radke, who some of you may know from Instagram. That's at least how I got in contact with Amanda. She is a beef blogger, a speaker, a jack of all trades kind of type, a Jane of all trades, I guess I should say. But Amanda, thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me. And I love that Instagram brings so many people together from kind of all walks of life. And it's, it's fun to connect with people, I guess, if you could call this in real life. <laughs> so thanks, yeah. thanks again for the invitation. Yeah, I like how you kind of point out there that real life, I mean, we're just on Zoom. I feel like everything is on Zoom these days. But before we get started kind of talking a little bit more in depth about what it is that you're doing, can you just talk to us a little bit about your background in the beef or in the ag industry? Sure. Uh, well, my family raises cattle in Mitchell, South Dakota. I'm raising the sixth generation on our family farm there. And uh, since college, I've been writing for Beef Magazine on the Beef Daily blog, and I do a lot of uh, freelance writing for other agricultural publications as well. Um, and then in 2011, I started writing children's books. So I have four titles out currently with uh, three more on the way within the next year. So keeping very busy uh, in the publishing writing world right now. 
Um, and then I also have a retail site at amandaradke.com where I just uh, sell farm themed uh, shirts and toys and other things that that kind of uh, fit my values or my passions and, and allow me to connect with other people who have an appreciation for agriculture as well. Amanda, it's uh, easy to say the least that you certainly stay busy, but talk to us a little bit more about how you decided, how you got involved in all of these different facets from writing to speaking to kind of running a blog and obviously book writing. You certainly stay busy. <laughs> yeah, my my kids bought me a rocking chair last year for Mother's Day and we joked by August they'd only sat in it once. <laughs> so I I definitely don't sit often or relax often. I just I enjoy keeping busy and working. Um, but I, I guess I got started in college freelance writing. I sent out uh, 30 different letters to different publications that I would have loved to write for. I received 28 rejections, uh, one acceptance that said, you know, you can write in the women's section for free and submit a recipe. And and the final one was uh, a South Dakota newspaper that said, we need two articles a week. How can you, or how soon can you start? And so that's kind of how I got started. And then when I graduated, it was kind of in the heart of the recession back then with the housing crisis and everything, the bubble that had burst in, in 2008, 2009. And there just weren't any jobs available. And so I just continued to grow my freelance career and, and was able to move back home to the ranch. And it, it was, I guess, kind of a happy accident that happened over tough times where I had to get creative to make a living. So Amanda, you're doing a lot of speaking. I was looking on your website and you have quite a few events that are coming up here in 2021. But I feel like sometimes when you're doing these speaking events in agriculture, some of these things can be a little bit repetitive. So what are some of the things that you talk about to keep things alive? Sure. Yeah. Well, as we speak, I'm on my way up to Stanley, North Dakota to speak at a, a read one of my books at a local elementary school and then speak to the FFA kids in the evening. So I'm really excited to be back on the road and not be on Zoom for, for once after a long year of virtual meetings. Um, but I, I have several topics. So, uh, you know, the advocacy and, you know, sharing our story of agricultural production has always been kind of a primary one. I also talk about uh, navigating through the dynamics of family ranching and, you know, all the things that come with it, whether it's being the next generation or dealing with, you know, in-laws or, or uh, grandparents or spouses, all of those different things that make it kind of difficult sometimes, but a blessing as well to be in business with family. Um, and then this year, I, I kind of pivoted a little bit with COVID. And, you know, it seems like the community, egg community and, and everyone in general was just really down. And I had been asked to speak at a conference last May that said, we'd like you to talk about optimism in agriculture. And at that time, there was so much depressing news that I thought, I don't know if I see any optimism, but it was a job. And I said, okay, I'll figure it out. And I in my research, I just started seeing ways that the egg community was thriving during really difficult times. And so uh, my speech kind of developed from there, uh, celebrating people who have been innovative and have found ways to pivot their business models and are finding new and creative ways to connect and serve and lead with positivity 
And it, that has really been um, a game changer this year because I feel like so many people, you know, need an uplifting message in a way to say, yeah, this was a really tough year, but here's how we can move forward in, in a healthy and positive way and feel like we can still, you know, turn, turn uh, lemons into lemonade. Yeah, and that can certainly be a challenge, especially as uh, we've had some rough few couple of, well, really almost a year plus now. But Amanda, when you look at topics that not only that you're speaking about, but also that you're writing about for your beef blog, how do you go about selecting those topics? Uh, you know, living living it every day on our ranch offers plenty of of inspiration of, you know, what's happening seasonally and, you know, what we're up to at home. Uh, but also just seeing things uh, outside of our own pasture gates. So what are consumers talking about? What are some of the ballot initiatives or regulatory burdens that might be coming down the pike that could impact producers? Uh, and, and ultimately, I guess my goal of the blog has always been to empower producers and give them the information, the tools they need to be their their own strong advocates and their own voices in the industry and in their communities. And, and, and I want to, I guess I want to fight for producers and and help them ensure that they continue to have their freedom to farm and to manage their land as they see fit and to own livestock without, you know, crazy regulations that make it difficult to, to keep livestock around. And, and finally for the consumer, I always want to fight for, for people's right to have access to safe, affordable, and nutritious foods like, you know, beef, dairy, and eggs. And those those food groups seem to be under attack on the regular. So I keep pretty busy on just those, those areas on the blog. So Amanda, if somebody is looking to kind of get into something similar like you have, I mean, you mentioned that you had a little bit of a struggle when you were first trying to to write. And so if there's anybody out there who's also wanting to join you in this fight, what advice might you give them? Uh, one of the things I did early on was say yes to a lot of opportunities. So I would attend, you know, local cattlemen's meetings. I would try to um, get as many internships or job shadowing opportunities as I could so I could learn from industry leaders. I, I was in a lot of activities and clubs and organizations just so I could build my network. And then over time, you know, that foundation that I laid in college has paid off just by default of being able to know people and, and um, you know, being able to help them or they help me. And, and so the beef industry is large, but at the same time, you know, and agriculture, I should say, but it's, it's also a very small, tight-knit family. And so the more people you know, the larger your reach can be. And I guess if someone's looking to, you know, really focus on being an advocate, uh, it seems like there's this school of thought that there's only one right way to share our story. And I always tell people, be authentic and be yourself and, you know, share your, your stories and share facts and do it with kindness. And you're going to attract great audiences and connect with people and, and be able to really, you know, foster a, a positive relationships and feelings of trust when they think of who we are in production agriculture. Amanda, this has certainly been fun to chat with you today, but for our listeners who are interested in reading more about you, reading some of the work that you have, or just uh, checking out some of your work further, how can they do so? Sure. Well, they can check out my blog at beefmagazine.com. They can also learn more about my speaking and 
and retail and children's books at amandaradke.com. And then I also have a publishing company uh, called Egg Storytellers, where we uh, partner with different commodity groups to share their egg story and promote egg literacy uh, through egg accurate children's books. Um, and then they can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, kind of anywhere, social media platforms where people hang out. So uh, I'm, I'm very open to connections and, and making uh, new friends in the industry and, and would love the opportunity to chat and, and mentor anybody who is interested in this field of, of work. Fantastic. Well, Amanda, thanks again for coming on the podcast today. It's been great having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Amanda. Certainly a pleasure having her on. Ashton, I know you were kind of getting a little fangirl vibe going on there, weren't you? I was. And you know what? I'm a little upset that you just outed me about that. I told you that <laughs> in confidence. <laughs> well, now everybody knows. Maybe Amanda will um, send you a shirt or something now that she knows you're a big fan. Well, um, an extra large would be nice. I'm just going to put that out there, Amanda. Don't feel pressured or anything. But folks, if you want to listen to any of our other podcasts, we talk to people who are, you know, producers, but we also talk to people who actually have products of their own that you can buy just like Amanda. So if you want to go back and listen to any of those podcasts, you can do that at agnesdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.